This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 29th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Sanctions have a poor record at affecting policy change in unfriendly regimes. So how are so-called targeted sanctions on Russia supposed to work? Emma Ashford, a visiting research fellow at the Cato Institute, discusses the strange incentives and signaling at work when the U.S. imposes sanctions. What sanctions does the U.S. currently impose on Russia? We're imposing a variety of sanctions. We started last year when Russia invaded Crimea. We put some uh, relatively minimal sanctions on mostly individuals, people close to the Kremlin. When Russia then started being very aggressive in eastern Ukraine, we added more sanctions on Russian banks, on Russian energy companies, and on sort of the business that U.S. companies can do with Russian entities. So these were not blanket sanctions broadly on the Russian economy? No, that's the difference between what we call today targeted sanctions and the more sort of broad embargoes that we used to impose. So if you think about Iraq in the 1990s under Saddam Hussein, we basically imposed a complete trade embargo, no products in or out. Today on Russia, we're only imposing sanctions on very specific entities, things we think will hurt people close to Vladimir Putin and businesses that the Kremlin relies on for its income. Why then targeted sanctions? What do we think we know about targeted sanctions that we uh, know doesn't work with broad sanctions? The problem with the old kind of embargoes was they were really easy for particularly autocratic governments to circumvent. Those governments would basically make their population pay the price and the people would starve, there would be terrible suffering, while the elites in the presidential palace would just continue life as they always had, living in luxury. So the idea with targeted sanctions is that we avoid that by specifically targeting those elites and hopefully also by targeting the people who have an actual say in policy, we can change the policy outcomes more effectively. So Kim Jong-il still gets his cognac and uh, there are people in North Korea still starve. Absolutely. North Korea is another great example of how these sanctions have sort of hurt ordinary people over the years, you know, even a famine, which not entirely the result of sanctions, but is certainly not helped by them, while the elites in power, Kim Jong-un in particular, continues to live a very uh, flashy lifestyle. So the U.S. wants some sort of policy change uh, for these sanctions. What are the specific policy changes the U.S. wants from Russia or has wanted from Russia? And, and how do we in, do we indicate those explicitly, like you do this and we'll lift these sanctions? The sanctions do actually, in the, in the language when they're imposed, they specify some, some things that could be done to get them lifted. In particular, we want Russia to withdraw from Crimea. We want Russia to stop engaging in aggressive behavior, supporting rebels, sending weapons into eastern Ukraine, and to support the peace process there. Um, in recent months, in the last six months or so, the Obama administration has really heavily emphasized that the sanctions could be lifted if Russia goes through with the Minsk peace process in eastern Ukraine. And they've really stopped talking about Crimea as much, which makes me think that they might be amenable to lifting them if the Minsk peace process is successful, even if Russia doesn't withdraw from Crimea. Does the U.S. really expect there to be policy change driven by sanctions? That's kind of the disturbing thing about these sanctions. It does seem to be the opinion in the administration and elsewhere in Washington that these sanctions really could hurt Russia so much that they'll be 
coerced into withdrawing from Crimea. They'll be coerced into stopping their aggressive behavior in Eastern Europe and elsewhere. The problem is that sanctions, whether broad or targeted, have a really terrible track record. I think one of the broader studies showed that they fail about two-thirds of the time, more like 80% of the time if we're talking about military issues like this one is. If sanctions have a a poor record and uh, we don't really know a ton about how well targeted sanctions work, what could be the rationale for the U.S. continuing to impose them? Sanctions are a really nice, attractive policy. They look like they don't cost us very much. It's not military intervention. It looks a little more assertive than just diplomacy, perhaps. And so they look like the government is doing something, standing up to Russia, sending a signal to our friends in Europe that we're standing by them, hurting Russia while not really doing all that much about it. It's a political move. Are are sanctions a a way to uh, avoid a more direct conflict? They can be. Um, And that's one reason why the failure of sanctions in the Russian case, and, and indeed in other cases, is a little disheartening to those of us who would like to see perhaps a more restrained foreign policy. Sanctions would be fantastic if they worked because they would let us avoid military action in more cases. But it's also a good idea, I think, to know when a policy isn't working. And with sanctions, we just have to be aware that they're not as effective as we think they are. Now, you argue in foreign affairs, your foreign affairs piece on this subject, that they're not just ineffective, that in many ways they are counterproductive. So what what do we lose and what does uh, Vladimir Putin get when we impose sanctions? There is a couple of things. So on the Russian side, what we see from the, the evidence over the last year is sanctions are actually strengthening Putin and those closest to him. And that's because the Kremlin has been able to quite effectively take those sanctions, make them hit people that aren't their supporters harder, and then actually sort of shore up their own supporters by doing things like issuing extra government contracts to businessmen they're particularly close with. Um, Then there's the public relations angle, right? Putin can point to his terrible economy, which is actually mostly the result of an oil-heavy economy in a time of very quickly falling oil prices. He can point to the sanctions and say to the people, look, the US sanctions are causing you all this economic pain. And so it shores him up politically. Um, And then finally, U.S. businesses and European businesses are actually getting hurt by these sanctions. So I think it's estimated that the European Union is going to lose as much as two million jobs over the next couple of years if the sanctions stay in place. That's a lot of cost for something that actually seems to be politically strengthening the Kremlin. So for businesses in in Russia that are no longer able to access certain parts of the global economy, they either play ball with the current regime or they lose out on uh, the benefits of an increased dependence on the state. This is the problem. When Russian businesses can't go abroad to raise capital on Western financial markets, they do have to turn to the government. And over the last year, the Russian government has been very obvious in supporting companies that they rely on, that they think are important, that are headed by their supporters, by providing bailouts, um, even by allowing one company to recapitalize its coffers by using government bonds as collateral, which is a, a very unusual move. Um, And in the meantime, the companies that don't have that kind of support, 
they don't do so well. So, and it's it, that's a, that point is especially important in light of how the Russian economy has performed in recent years with a dramatic decline in uh, oil prices. It seems to provide a convenient foil for Putin to uh, assign blame for uh, why they're doing so poorly. Well, we hear a lot of people talking and saying, oh, the sanctions have been successful because the Russian economy is doing so badly over the last year. And the Russian economy is not in a great place. I think the ruble has fallen by about 75% compared to the dollar over the last year. Um, Inflation hit 16% in the middle of the year. Those are all very bad things. But if you look at sort of how oil prices have fallen, the ruble exchange rate tracks them very closely. And if you look at the history of the Russian economy and oil prices, you see that actually what's happening today is very similar to what happened in 2008, when oil prices again crashed during the financial crisis. So oil has actually done more damage to the economy today than the sanctions have, but Putin can point to the sanctions and blame them. Emma Ashford is a visiting research fellow at the Cato Institute. Her new foreign affairs piece is entitled, Not So Smart Sanctions, The Failure of Western Restrictions Against Russia. Read more of her work at Cato.org.